so we know the four people involved, um, but what was the point of the letter? Uh, people don't tend to write letters unless they've got something to say. Um, we think John wanted to introduce his friend Demetrius to Gaius, but that only takes up two sentences. Uh, so what about the rest of the letter? Why did John write this letter to this friend at this point in time? Well, it's probably only written about 50 years after Jesus had gone back to heaven. I mean, John was a friend of Jesus, and he's still alive. Um, and in those days, days, the churches were new, small, and spread out, meeting mainly in people's homes. And they had leaders, but the leaders were quite inexperienced, and, and they didn't yet have the New Testament written down like we do today. So they relied on the apostles, uh, Jesus' friends, people who knew and lived with Jesus. Um, and the apostles and people who worked with them would travel around uh, from church to church, teaching them what Jesus had said and done. Uh, and there weren't many nice places to stay, not even basic nice places, not, no, no premier inns, no travel lodges, no Airbnb, no cottages. Um, the inns at that time were well known for their lack of safety and their dodgy landlords. Uh, so that meant that travelling Christian teachers had to rely on Christians to give them places to stay. And Gaius, John said, had been doing a really good job of looking after visiting Christian pastors and giving them a place to stay. In verse 5 and 6, John writes, Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they're strangers to you. They've told the church about your love. But it seems that Gaius was starting to wobble. There was pressure on him not to keep welcoming visiting Christian pastors, but to send them away. Diotrephes, John writes in verse 10, uh, refuses to welcome other believers. Gaius wasn't sure whether he should keep letting these visitors into his home or whether he should turn them away, like Diotrephes did. And John wrote this letter to encourage Gaius to keep welcoming and supporting Christian pastors. And to help him think about what to do, John gives him examples of the two choices he could make. Firstly, in verses 2 to 8, an example of saying yes and carrying on welcoming Bible teachers the example of Gaius himself up till now. And then secondly, which we'll read a little bit later, in verses 9 to 14, an example of saying no and refusing to welcome Bible teachers. The example of Diotrephes and his selfish rejection. So, example one, Gaius, who's faithfully welcomed Bible teachers. Uh, Gaius has until now been faithfully welcoming visiting Bible teachers into his house. Uh, let's look down at verses 2 to 8 and see if we can learn a little bit more about Gaius and these visitors that he's been looking after. Well, John is full of praise uh, for Gaius in the first few verses of the letter. John is filled with great joy in verse 3 by Gaius' faithfulness to the truth in verse 3 again, his genuine, real trust in Jesus. And it's not just Gaius' right beliefs that John's happy about. John's delighted that Gaius is walking in the truth in verses 3 to 4, living out his Christian beliefs through his words, feelings, thoughts, and actions. How does John know that Gaius is walking in the truth? Well, other Christians have told John about Gaius' hospitality, as we see in verses 5 to 8. Gaius had welcomed some Christian teachers into his home, people who were strangers to him, in verse 5. They hadn't met them before, uh, and he had looked after them and loved them. And not simply giving them uh, somewhere warm and dry to sleep for a night, but over several days or weeks, probably, uh, feeding them, clothing them, caring for them, getting to know them, supporting them in whatever ways they needed, out of his own time, energy, possessions, and money even though he'd never met them before, and he may never see them again after they'd left. Would you do that? Seems a bit crazy, doesn't it? Uh, but in fact, Gaius had done exactly what Jesus commanded his followers to do. 
Because Jesus mentioned strangers when he was teaching people. Uh, turn to the person next to you. Can you think of when and what Jesus said about strangers? Let's gather back together. Does anyone think they've got it? It's in Matthew's Gospel. Let's have a look. Matthew 25, verse 35. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. And Jesus says a little further down in that passage that those who look after people in need will be blessed at the final judgment day. They'll be treated as if they had looked after Jesus himself when they cared for a stranger or fed someone who was hungry. And that's exactly what Gaius had been doing, following Jesus' command to love and welcome strangers. And in fact, Jesus hadn't just commanded it. He'd done it himself. Um, I wonder if anyone can call out what the missing word in this verse is. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still... Christ died for us. While we were still friends? No. While we were still okay people? No. While we were still strangers? Not even that. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were worse than God's strangers, while we were God's enemies, Jesus died on the cross to save us. He gave up his life to help us, though we turned our backs on him. How wonderful. Um, John then gives three reasons why it was good for Gaius to help these particular travellers of all the poor, struggling people that Gaius could have um, found to help. Uh, number one, they were Christians. In verse five, John calls them brothers and sisters, which is only ever used in the Bible to refer to your physical siblings or, or your church family, other Christians. Uh, number two, they were Christians that John knew or at least knew of. He says in verse 6 that they've told the church about your love. Uh, maybe he sent them out, maybe he knew where they were going from, they seem to have reported back to him. There was a personal link between uh, Gaius and these, these strangers through John. Uh, number three, uh, they went out for the sake of the name. Uh, the name just means Jesus' name in verse 7. And they weren't travelling around sightseeing or sort of trying to get a free holiday out of Gaius. They'd, they'd left behind their homes, their families probably, their jobs and their comforts to go and tell people the good news about Jesus. And number four, they were relying on God to support them. Just like Jesus instructed his followers in Matthew 10, Mark 6, Luke 9 and 10, they'd gone out taking hardly anything with them and without relying on charity from pagans or non-Christians. They were totally trusting God to provide them with what they needed while they served him. Walking in the truth, says John, living as a Christian, looks like faithfully welcoming Bible teachers into your home, just as you've been doing, Gaius. So keep it up. Uh, this book, Funding the Family Business, I imagine many of you will have um, come across it by Mars Wilson. It's full of wonderful examples of Christians generously supporting other Christians, from the kind of extravagant what's-in-a-lifetime gifts down to the very mundane day-to-day -day donations of a few pounds here and there. 
Uh, and there's one example in this book which I thought it demonstrates this principle uh, really nicely. Um, let me read it to you. Uh, the husband of one of our long-time supporter couples, who's worked most of his life in a bank, uh, rising through the ranks to a senior position with a very healthy income, um, yet they live quite modestly at a level way below their peers. Instead of simply tithing and giving 10% of their income to God's work, uh, they sit down each year and work out what they feel under God they need for their own use. 100% of everything else is given away. And one year, his division had done particularly well, and he got an unexpected and significant bonus. But because they had already worked out how much they needed that year, there was no discussion about how much they should give and how much they should keep. It was all given away. Imagine the impact that couple must be having for the gospel and for gospel work. Walking in the truth, says John, living as a Christian, looks like faithfully welcoming Bible teachers into your home, just as you've been doing, Gaius, so keep it up. But what does this look like for us? Jesus died for us too, when we were not just strangers, but enemies of God. And we too have Jesus' instructions in Matthew 25 to care for strangers as if we're caring for him. But what does it look like for most of us who don't have vast incomes or lots of spare rooms? And probably none of us are going to find when we get home from church a visiting Bible teacher on our doorstep hoping to come and stay. Well, I think we should still ask a question. How hospitable are we? In, in verse 8, John says, We ought therefore to show hospita hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. In John's mind, hospitality seems really closely linked with the spreading of the gospel message. But what does that look like at Morden Road, where there are only very occasionally Christian strangers in need of a bed? Well, I think the first question to consider is just, do you open your home to other Christians outside your family? Do you invite other Christians in for a drink, for a meal, for an evening, to stay the night? And if you do, who do you invite? Do you look out for the visiting mission partner, the couple back from overseas, the newer person, the person on the fringe of church life and community? Do you invite the teenagers, the toffs, the pastors, the single people, families with older kids or just with lots of kids? Are those in full-time Christian work? Or do you just invite the people who are most like you, the people that it's easiest to chat to, and the people who are most likely to get something back, not least to return invitation from? Not that we shouldn't invite those people, but we shouldn't just invite those people. These are questions I've been asking myself this week. But what about if you're younger, a child, a teenager, you don't have your own home to be hospitable with? Well, a little bit more generally then, are you willing to share what you do have with the church? Perhaps you have a musical talent. Perhaps you're good at baking. Maybe you could join a host team or help out with junior church or create some artwork for the old schoolhouse. Perhaps you could offer your babysitting skills free of charge to families in church. In fact, I think that's something for all of us to consider because I think biblical hospitality is more than opening your home to people. It's sharing ourselves and our resources generously and widely, giving of ourselves to others, like Jesus did, rather than holding on tightly to what we perceive to be ours, for the sake of the gospel and of gospel work, so that we may work together for the truth, John says in verse 8. A friend of mine uh, I lead camp with uh, is at Bible college at the moment and on quite a tight budget. Uh, and I was delighted to hear uh, some of the ways that I wouldn't have even considered, it just wouldn't have occurred to me, that other Christians were supporting him and his family. Uh, one family lent them their house for the week, 
not as a house swap, the other family were going on holiday for France, to France for a fortnight, so they just lent them their empty house so they could have a little holiday. Another person lent them their car for the week because they were staying at home and they didn't really need it. Um, so that meant that my friend's wife could drive their three kids and their suitcases to camp, and then he could bring all the, the kit for camp in the second car. Biblical hospitality is sharing ourselves and our resources generously and widely so that we may work together for the truth. And I've been asking myself this week, how good am I at using my home, possessions, skills, money, time to help my brothers and sisters in Christ? The request in Magnet, the notice in the service asking for volunteers, the WhatsApp message asking for a meal. Do I leave it? Ignore it? Thinking that someone else will reply, someone who's better placed, better gifted, less busy. Or do I step up and say yes? Walking in the truth, says John, living as a Christian, looks like faithfully partnering with other Christians and showing generous, sacrificial hospitality. So carry on, guys, says John. Keep being hospitable. Okay, can I invite the band up and we're going to have a little break and a song and then we'll have our second reading and we'll look at Diotrephus. Thanks, Liz. Ah, so we've had a hefty introduction in point one. I've just got point two to go in a very short conclusion. Um, now, I think the reason that um, John's so emphatic in his reminder to Gaius of his hospitality so far and his encouragement to Gaius to keep going is that there's quite a lot of pressure on Gaius not to keep welcoming visiting Christian teachers. And that's mostly coming from Diotrephes. So example two, Diotrephes, who selfishly refuses to welcome Bible teachers. Diotrephes did not welcome and did not want other people to welcome visiting Bible teachers because he loved to be first. Let's delve into verses 9 to 14 and see if we can work out what's going on. Uh, so John says in verse 9 um, that he'd already written a letter to this church, uh, quite possibly, although we don't know for sure, it could have been one or two John. Uh, but look what happened. Verse 9, Diotrephes wouldn't accept it. Um, he, not accepting the letter, but not accepting the person who carried it and not accepting the person who sent it. And we know that because John says Diotrephes will not welcome us at the end of verse 9. And John isn't happy about it. In fact, he's going to come anyway and draw attention to what Diotrephes is doing. Because Diotrephes isn't just apologetically saying he doesn't have space to put up John and his co-workers. He is, in verse 10, spreading malicious nonsense about us, telling people mean, made-up lies about John. And it gets worse, uh, verse 10, not satisfied with that, uh, he even refuses to welcome other believers. So not only will he not welcome John, but he's turning away other Bible teachers too. And still, verse 10, he also stops those who want to do so. As well as saying no himself, he refuses to let other people within his church welcome them. How does he stop them? Verse 10, one last time, he puts them out of the church. Dorotrephes kicks out of the church people who want to welcome Bible teachers like John. What a terrible thing for a church leader to do. Why is he doing this? Well, we don't get a lot of information from John, but there don't seem to be any theological differences between Diotrephes, John, and John's fellow Bible teachers. The only possible clue we get is in verse 9, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. That's the only clue we get. Diotrephes, who loves to be first. Ouch. You wouldn't want that written on your gravestone, would you? 
Uh, the reason, it seems, that Diotrephes won't welcome Bible teachers, says John, is because he wants to be first. He wants to be number one in the top spot. So Diotrephes, he likes to be in charge. He likes to be the leader, and he loves to be the center of attention. He loves it when people look at, listen to, and respect him. And so any other leader, any other Bible teacher, is a threat. And he's worried that if someone else comes along, they might teach and lead better than him. The church might like them more than him. Or the person might challenge Diotrephes and things he's saying and doing and tell them he's wrong. Best case scenario, Diotrephes would have to sort of share the stage with this person and, and the people's love and attention. Worst case scenario, this person would replace him. And the people in the church wouldn't love, follow, or want to listen to Diotrephes anymore. You see, Diotrephes loves to be first. And as a result, he seems to have stopped pointing people to Jesus and started pointing them to himself. And John's verdict, verse 10, is that he must be exposed. When I come, I will call attention to what he is doing. Diotrephes would not welcome Bible teachers because he wanted to be first. Uh, sorry to use the same illustration that I used in my last kid's slot, but it reminds me once more of um, the boy formerly known as Buddy Pine in the film The Incredibles, if you've seen it. He started out genuinely loving Mr. Incredible and wanting to help people, wanting to be Mr. Incredible's sidekick as Mr. Incredible goes around traveling the world, rescuing people in trouble. But Buddy Pine became so focused on himself, on who he thought he was and who he wanted to be and how he thought he deserved to be treated, that he ended up becoming Wicked Syndrome, the enemy of superheroes and the enemy of society. Syndrome certainly did not welcome superheroes because he loved to be first. You can make a similar link, maybe, to um, some of the CEOs of the big tech companies, the Mark Zuckerbergs of Facebook, the Jeff Bezoses of Amazon. You get, you get the same story in lots of these companies. They start off genuinely wanting to innovate, to create something that's a service, that's going to be good. Yes, that might make money, but that's going to help people. Um, and they work with others to create it. But they seem to end up, so many of these people, being so swallowed up in themselves and their ego and their ambition, buying out or bringing lawsuits against the people who helped them to create it, or people who come along with new, similar ideas, and they end up simply serving themselves. They don't welcome other innovators, because they love to be first. And Diotrephes did not welcome visiting Bible teachers, because he loved to be first. It makes you sit a little bit uncomfortably, especially those of us who, like Diotrephes, lead in the church. Do we allow a desire to be first, to sneak into the way that we lead, or just the way we do church life. The pastor who insists it has to be their way. The person who has to have the last word at home group. The organiser who guards the information closely and won't let other people help or be involved. The person who feels their gift has been up at the front, but maybe isn't so keen when it comes to behind-the-scenes service. And that love of being first can sneak into all areas of our Christian lives. We can love to be the first to hear the good news. The first to send our congratulations. The first to share our concerns. The first to take round the meal. The first to offer the lift. The first to sign up on the rotor. The first to reshare the post. Now, of course, don't mishear me. There's nothing wrong with being quick to respond to needs. Most of the time, being quick to respond to a need is a really, really good thing. I'm sure Hannah, our administrator, would testify to that. But just, I gently just encourage you to watch your heart for just that little feeling of satisfaction and pride that you got in there first, or that you were the first person to be asked. I'm sure the love of being first started subtly in Diotrephes' heart, 
but look what it grew to when it went unchecked. If you're younger, uh, perhaps it's loving being the first to give the right answer, the first to volunteer to read, first in the queue, the first to get to the hatch at the end of the service, the first to offer to help out. And again, there's nothing wrong with being quick. It can be a wonderful thing, but just watch your heart for that love of being first, that love of me, which can sneak in. Diotrephes didn't welcome visiting Bible teachers because he loved to be first. So what's it going to be, guys? Says John. You've got a choice. Will you keep faithfully partnering with other Christians and showing generous hospitality? Or will you turn away Bible teachers because you love to be first? In verse 11, we get the one clear command in the letter, apart from the greetings in verse 14. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Are you going to carry on welcoming Bible teachers as you've been doing, Gaius? Or are you going to copy Diotrephes and close your door? Demetrius is on your doorstep. Are you going to invite him in? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that while we were not just strangers, but enemies of you, you gave up your son to die for us. We thank you for the faithful example of Gaius that we have in in this letter, of his faithful service of these Bible teachers, these fellow Christians. We pray that you'll help us to imitate it, that we will open our homes, that we'll share what we have. Amen.